Yes, yes, hello and welcome to the Longball Football Podcast. This is just a quick intro to let you know that today's show is a very special one. We were delighted to speak to Mr. Con Murphy last week. Most of our listeners will know that Con is the commentator for Live Score and Free Sports on Primera League of Fixtures and has an extensive career in broadcasting. We were delighted to sit down and chat to him about everything from his early years in the business, following Ireland at World Cups, covering the Olympics. Uh, and of course, the Primera League at this season and in the future. Well, we're not going to waste any more time. We'll get right into it and we'll see you on the other side. Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a very special guest to the Longball Football Podcast, someone who uh, many of our listeners will know as the commentator for Primera League of Fixtures on Free Sports and the Live Score app, a man that I'm personally dubbing as the voice of Portuguese football in English. You can use that one if you like, Con. Mr. Con Murphy, thank you very much for joining us. I'll take that. Thank you very much indeed, guys. Thanks a million. By the way, uh, just uh, before we start, congratulations on the, the podcast because um, it's uh, been a great listen throughout the season and it's going from strength to strength. So keep it up. It's great stuff. Oh, thank you very much. That's really kind, Con. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm interested, where are you joining us from today? I know you're in Ireland, but which city particularly are you in? Dublin. Dublin, Ireland. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of a, a a long way from Lisbon and Porto and Faro and wh- wherever else <laughs> the, the games are taking place in Portugal, but um, that's where the commentaries are are done from at the moment. Um, mm. Obviously, with COVID, there's no travelling at all, so everything has been done off tube. Um, uh, but th- it's quite interesting, actually, where we do the commentaries. Um, it's like a commentary hub for Europe, so. In the booth beside me, I might have a, a Russian commentator doing ice skating or oh, wow. you know, ice hockey. Um, there'd be a French guy in the, the booth next door to him doing La Liga and other English language uh, commentators doing various sports from around Europe and indeed the world. So it's a really interesting, even though we're in little old Dublin, it's actually wow. a really interesting place to go in and work. I suppose it helps that, you know. The Irish accent is such a universally adored accent. I think that's possibly why they, why they chose uh, Dublin for that. Very interesting. I mean, obviously, a lot of working from home these days, including for people not working in sport. But as a broadcaster, uh, working remotely, that must be uh, an interesting dynamic. It is. It's a little difficult as well, because particularly in this day and age where there's no crowd in the stadia, um, so you don't have that bed of an atmosphere underneath you uh, mm. when you're doing a commentary. And as you say, if you're in a remote little booth, just doing it, um, trying to get into the the vibe and the feel of the match can be a bit more difficult than at least if you're doing it off tube and there is a, you know, 20,000 people at the game uh, generating an atmosphere. It can kind of, you know, the way an atmosphere can lift a player or a team Mm. sometimes it can do the same for a commentator. I think, you know, when a brilliant goal goes in from 25 yards out and the stadium is going berserk it just gives you that bed underneath you to 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 kind of go with it uh and when they're not in the stadium it's it's a bit more difficult to be honest with you um so i can't wait for the crowds to to come back you know i mean uh, even this season um it was amazing because obviously there was nobody at any of the games but there were a few games um in the azores when santa clara were playing at home yeah. and they'd have like 950 people in the the ground and it's quite an open ground there anyway but even 950 people in the ground it was remarkable yeah you yeah. know when they scored a goal it just you realize how much you miss 
fans in the grounds, you know, and, and as a commentator, I really miss them. Honestly, hearing you speak like that is, is making me miss it even more. I'm sure, mm. you know, in the UK, we've all got a date in mind where hopefully we'll be able to go back to the football. Uh, all looking forward to that. We're going to come on to Portuguese football uh, very soon. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be aware of yourself, obviously, as the Premier League commentator over the years. But uh, just quickly, for those who might not be familiar with your career as a whole, do you want to give us a brief outline of kind of what led you uh, to the point where you are today, really? Yeah, it's it's a fun... I kind of fell into commentary in the end because um, mm. I'm... Uh, kind of uh, I've been in the broadcasting business I suppose for the guts of 30 years now um, and for the vast majority of that I was actually a presenter either on on radio or on on TV I worked for RTE which was the Irish equivalent of the BBC the state broadcaster and um, I had been working there for about 25 years or thereabouts and I didn't have a midlife crisis but I did have a situation where in the course of about a year or maybe 18 months, a couple of my colleagues who were quite similar in age to me died, actually. Yeah. You know, one guy got a motor neuron disease and, and another guy got cancer. And, wow. and another friend of mine, my closest friend in Orte, also got cancer. Now, thankfully, he survived and he's, he's back working and everything is hunky-dory there. But I had this kind of uh, thing where I'd been in the job for 20, 25 years and I just kind of thought you know, am I going to stay here for the rest of my working life? And and I was, you know, really well, well, quite well paid at the time, you know, a state broadcaster, you'd expect mm. decent wages and stuff. Um, and I was in a very privileged position, I suppose, but I just kind of felt I want to do something. I want to, you know, I was missing a lot of family occasions because I was working all the time and mm. um, between radio and TV I was basically working six days a week and it felt like seven days a week because even the day that I was off I was kind of prepping for the next day so I just they they had a a, um, a severance package um, I don't like the word redundancy because <laughs> I didn't feel redundant and um, so I decided to take the package and just chance my luck as a freelancer and maybe have a bit more free time and travel a bit more and be available for birthday parties if they were occurring and so on. And so I did that. And it, Ireland is not like the UK. It's quite a limited market in terms of where you can and can't work or at sure. least uh, work in a, a place that will pay you. Um, so I, it was only at that point that I started doing act you know, blow by blow commentary, because up until then, I had really just been a presenter. Hmm. And it was one of these ones where I started doing the commentaries, and I didn't quite know I had, I was lacking in a bit of confidence, if truth be told, because I didn't know if I was going to be any good. And fortunately, I did a few games. Uh, I actually, the first game I ever did was a South American, the equivalent of the, the European Cup in South sure. America, those, sure. those sort of games, uh, Cup of Libertadores. Mm. And uh, they seemed to go down well. And then I got a few more games. And as a result of that, I started doing some League of Ireland matches here. And um, then the, the Portuguese came along. This is the, the third season. I think we've done the, the Portuguese League now. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was a new lease of life for me. I loved doing the commentaries. I, I went to... Uh, the Olympics in Rio and I was doing uh, track and field commentary there you know oh, and I'm, I, Jesus I'm sitting in the stadium and Usain Bolt is running down towards me and I'm doing commentary on it and I'm thinking <laughs> this is just unreal you know yeah, and, and I had been to all the previous Olympics you know since since uh, Atlanta in 96 
but always as a presenter or, you know, an anchor uh, either on radio or TV or whatever. Yeah. So to be doing the commentaries, it was, it, it, it was a gamble I took when I left uh, RTE um, and it was a time where, you know, there was a bit of a financial crisis and then obviously we've had COVID since and there are days where uh, work has been, uh, you know, quiet or whatever. And you kind of think, Jesus, did I do the right thing? But in hindsight, I would say absolutely, you know, uh, it was a it was a gamble that, that paid off because I, I love doing the commentaries probably more than anything I've done in, in broadcasting. That's pretty- I just wanted to ask you, Con, because um, I, I saw you did the Japan South Korea World Cup, but I guess that was as, as a host. Yeah. But that, as, a, as an Ireland fan, that must have been a, a hell of a tournament to go to. Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely wow. amazing. Now, obviously, I, I wasn't in Saipan when the, the skin and hair was flying there and Roy Keane <laughs> had his uh, walkout. Um, <laughs> some of the main kind of soccer um, correspondents and stuff went to Saipan first. Right. So I, I arrived in Japan just as the poo was hitting the fan. Um, and it was the, the first few days in Japan, it was all about Roy Keane walking out on the squad and leaving Mick McCarthy behind and the name calling that had gone on between those two. So every press conference was very fraught and stuff. Um, and eventually the football started and we were able to kind of concentrate on that afterwards. But what an experience. I don't, have you been to Japan? No, no, no. Oh, I haven't listen. been to a World Cup either. That's the thing. Guys, <laughs> if you get a chance, um, well, I don't know if there'll be another World Cup in Japan, but even just as a place to visit. Yeah. Unbelievable. The people are so nice. The, the, the place is incredible. Uh, I remember after one of the matches, I think Ireland had drawn with uh, Germany, got a late equaliser through Robbie Keane, and we got the bus back to the hotel. And obviously... This is quite late at night now because the buses leave the stadium late because everybody's filing their reports and what have you. And when we arrive back at our hotel, and this is just a media bus, you know, a bunch of old scruffs, uh, the entire staff of the hotel, and this is a big, like a kind of a Marriott type hotel, the entire staff of the hotel, or felt like the entire staff, lined up outside. And as our bus arrived back in, they applauded us off the bus as if we had played the match. Um, It just gives you a little indication of how nice... The people are there. I mean, I found Japan just um, extraordinary. Lovely, lovely, lovely place. And uh, yeah, if you get a chance to go there, it'd be brilliant. Um, and it was an ambition of mine to, to be at a World Cup finals and, and yeah. to, be, to be working at one. Uh, and that was, you know, for Ireland to be there and to be competitive. You know, we, we were knocked out on penalties by Spain in the end. But, yeah. uh, you know, they gave a good run. And uh that night that Robbie equalised against Germany, virtually the last kick of the match, which was fantastic, you know. I, I almost forgot about that Ireland team. You know, I, 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 you know with Duff as well and um, Matty Holland, because I, yeah. I have a good friend who's an Ipswich fan and he always, always banged on about Matty Holland. And, uh, <laughs> that was the only time I saw him. Yeah, he, he scored against Cameroon actually in the first match, Matty Holland, yeah. uh, at the equaliser. And Kevin Kilban would have been in that squad as yeah. well. Kevin was a great guy. I, I just remember from a media point of view, um, you're always looking for a player who would be a good talker and Kevin was straight away as soon as he came into the squad you knew this guy is a good talker you know very articulate mm. intelligent guy and um, really good player as well so that was a good squad you know it was a good bunch of players that Mick had in you know too um I wanted to ask you as well Con um, you know you you obviously do it commentate on a lot of other sports as well you're incredibly knowledgeable on them but 
But when you were growing up, what sort of sports were you playing yourself? Did you, did, did you have a team? Did you have a favourite sport? Yeah, I played football. It, it, it's curious, actually, because in Ireland, uh, a lot of the young kids would play either Gaelic football mm. or, or, or hurling in certain parts of the country. So the GAA is, is kind of like the biggest sport in the country. Um, but I didn't. I was always a, a football player, but I was bang average. Uh, and I knew very early on that um, my dreams of playing for Shamrock Rovers were not going to be realised. It's a realisation uh, we all have at some point. Yeah, it's, it's pretty horrible. But uh, so I thought, well, maybe the next best thing might be to uh, to commentate on one of their matches. Um, and I used to have um, when I was a kid, I'd had Sabutio, you know, and I'd yeah. play the little Sabutio matches and I'd kind of commentate on the games as I was playing. That's probably where I got the 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 uh the love for the the commentary um so yeah i knew pretty early on that i was going to be uh i, I was i wasn't going to be a footballer I'd, I'd have to be in the i thought actually at the time i thought maybe i'd be a a, a written journalist mm. i thought maybe i'd do that um but you know it's funny the way things go but uh that was about the only sport i really played i mean i was very i mean i played a bit of tennis and stuff a little bit of golf but I was never really very good at, at any of them, unfortunately. Um, still try and play a bit of golf. Still no good all these years later. <laughs> oh, don't get a start in golf, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in asking you actually about one of the, uh, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, one of the things on RTE that you were perhaps most known for, uh, Monday Night Soccer. Um, you did that for a number of years. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Uh, just what that experience was like, because for anybody who doesn't know, Monday Night Soccer was essentially the equivalent of a match of the day for the League of Ireland, essentially, that kind of format. What was that experience like? I assume you, you recorded it live every week and, and, and had to prepare in advance. Yeah, we did it live. And it was it was a departure because up until that point, uh, RTE had never done a match of the day type programme for the League of Ireland. I mean, they'd have the odd live game uh, and, you know, you'd see maybe a few goals on the the news bulletins or whatever, but they didn't have a dedicated programme. So when we came along, I'm terrible for dates now. I I actually forget how how long ago it was, but it was probably the mid, mid noughties. Mm. Um, It was so well received by the fans because they hadn't really had anything before that. And um, we had some great people working on this, a, a guy called Eamon Donoghue who went on to work for the BBC in Scotland. Um, he was brilliant. Um, and they did quirky things. They did magazine type things as well as match highlights. You know, they'd have little um, three minute films about fans going to matches or, yeah. you know, just magazine type stuff, uh, but also some quite, funny things you know as well and the um the fans really loved it and it went you know it seemed to to go down very well but um it costs money and i suppose as well there is a slight um element in rte where you know gaa would still be the yeah. the big thing the gaelic football and the gaelic mm-hmm. the, the hurling um so because our audience figures wouldn't have matched the GAA ones, eventually they kind of scaled it back a bit. But um, at the time we were doing it, it was it was great to be doing it because Twitter was kind of fairly new at that point. And you could tell from the response on Twitter, even though it was a relatively new um, social media, that the response was really positive. And even just emails we were getting in and, and just meeting people at matches and stuff. Uh, so it was great to be part of something like that. And um, we recorded it in a studio that was, if you have a 
toilet in your house. <laughs> I can tell you that the studio we recorded that program in was not much bigger than uh, the toilet. Uh, literally, when they talk about not being able to swing a cat in a room, if you had swung a cat in that studio, it would have banged off at least two of the walls. Um, but we still managed to get me plus three uh, guests in on a very tight couch and all the cameras were remote so that you didn't have to get cameramen into the room. But watching it on TV, you actually wouldn't realize it's amazing what they can do with lighting and, you know, backdrops and all that kind of stuff. But it was uh, it was tiny, but it was it was great to do. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. I, you know, but in preparing for this show, I did look up a couple of clips of that online. and It looked like, a, um, you know, it looked like a really impressive production. Obviously, you've said that since then you've you've left RTE, you're focusing more on the commentary. And of course, for this podcast, we're talking about we're talking about Portugal. I'm very interested because you've obviously commentated on a lot of things. You referenced the Copa de Libertadores there. Um, what is the research process like for commentating on, you know, some of these leagues where perhaps it's not something you might have known much about before? Obviously, Portugal, you've done quite a lot now. But, um, you know, Barney and me were talking, even from trying to do these podcasts, the, the resources for Portugal, especially in English, uh, there's mm. obviously some, some fantastic ones, but they, they seem to be few and far between. How do you find that, not just with Portugal, I suppose, but, you know, researching for any project yeah yeah i mean i have to say of all the stuff i'm doing at the moment the portuguese is probably my favorite in terms okay. of research for a couple of reasons a because we're now into our third season so um we do a little um, voiceover on a, a weekly roundup a highlights uh, program that goes out on a, a various uh, places around the world and um that's a great way for just uh, identifying players from maybe teams that you wouldn't be doing that often. So at this point now, I think I would nearly know every single player. If you put a picture up of a player and said, who is that? Nice. Uh, I Amazing. think, I'd, you know, some look quite similar. I have to say, <laughs> you know, the, they all have a beard nowadays. Yeah. Most of them, anyway. um, And, you know, darker, but, but in general, you know what I mean? I, yep. I would recognize nearly all of them. Um, which is great because if the director cuts to a shot of the bench, you know, it's nice to be able to reference the player that they're focusing on or whatever, without obviously seeing his number or whatever. Um, so Portugal, you know, as you say, there's so much online now that you can look up in the Portuguese newspapers. Um, I speak pretty good Spanish. So when I read Portuguese now, hmm. I'd understand most of it, but obviously you can use Google Translate anyway. So um I love doing the Portuguese. I've been doing some Polish league this season as well. Um, and I wouldn't be as familiar with some of their players again, especially from the teams in the lower part of the table where you wouldn't be doing them that often. Also, they've much harder names to pronounce. Yeah, <laughs> No doubt about it. Um, and also I find it harder to just get general information in Polish. Um, you know, the, the Polish papers aren't as accessible, I find mm. online as, as the, the Portuguese ones. Um, so that can be quite tricky. And, you know, even some of the club websites in Poland would be substandard. So if you go to the, the pictures of all the players, you know, sometimes they just have uh, the player's info without his photograph mm. and little things like that. Um, but there are little tricks that you can use. You know, if you're getting shots in the warm up of, you know, half hour before kickoff, you can see that, you know, player A is wearing orange boots today and player B has you know, a very identifiable tattoo on his arm or whatever sure, it might sure. be that you can use uh, to, to identify players on a wide shot or whatever. So we do that. Um, and by and large, it's, it you know, 
touch wood, it's it's gone pretty well. But um, yeah, no, of all of them, I the Portuguese is my favourite. And have you um, have you always commentated by yourself, or, or have you had a co-commentator in the past? Because that's for me, that's one of the things that has impressed me so much about you know when I sit down to watch a Portuguese game with free sports is because it must be so hard to, to do a game by yourself, have no one to bounce off. Yeah, it, I, I agree. Um, and in a way, it's kind of a pity we don't um, have co-commentators. Uh, I mean, I have worked, all the League of Ireland stuff I've done would have been co-commentators. I've done some European games, co-commentators, under 21 internationals. Uh, I've had co-commentators for those as well. And, and it does, what, what it does is it gives you a chance just to take a breather, maybe make a note while the co-commentator is um, saying whatever they're saying. And it also means that you don't really have to, like I, I find as a commentator, I shouldn't really have to analyze a game. I mean, that should be the co-commentator's job. I, sh- I should be the guy who identifies who's on the ball and who scored the goal and whatever. Um, I find though, without a co-commentator, you almost have to, you know, if, if Benfica switched to a back four, having played three at the back mid-game, you know, I as a commentator, I've got to mention that. Hmm. Whereas normally it'd be the co-commentator who would say, you know, George Jesus has made this change, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's harder. It's definitely harder because A, you're talking nonstop. Um, so for like two hours, basically, you're, you're talking without a break apart from halftime. Um, and B, you know, you're trying to make notes and while you're still talking and if you look down to make a note, what's happened on the, you know, you have to be careful not to miss something. And, yep. and so it's trickier. Definitely it's trickier. And, and if you could talk to my bosses in free sport and say, Give him a co-commentator for next season. I would be very, very appreciative. <laughs> well, there's another obvious thing as well that must have made your life harder. And it's a subject that people don't really enjoy talking about too much. But obviously, VAR, it's the thing that, you know, it's been banged on about so much. But even as a commentator, you know, there's so often, especially in Portugal, because they do love to use the VAR. Mm. Uh, there's been so many times when we're watching a game and, and they go to a VAR, VAR decision. You must be sitting there thinking, right, that's five minutes that, that I've got to feel right here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there, do you know what? There have been VAR decisions that have taken five, six, I think yeah. seven minutes yeah. in one case this season. Um, and again, it's it's where a coke commentator would be great because at least you can kind of have a conversation about the incident, whether it's an offside or a potential red card or whatever it might be. So you do, you just have to keep waffling basically, you know, and you're, <laughs> you're reliant on the, the uh, director to cut up the right shot so that you can kind of, stay on top of what's happening and you know is the referee going over to see the monitor on the side of the pitch and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff um i'm not a huge fan of you or i have to say i know it's been controversial in in england as well um i just think the margins sometimes are so fine like you've goals disallowed for 12 centimeters and i i looked at 12 centimeters i've a ruler here beside me 12 <laughs> centimeters is like yeah, how they can gauge that that is the exact moment that the ball struck the player's foot when he played the pass forward. That kind of stuff, it's just too marginal for me. And yeah. the decisions can be so vital. Um, I, I can see where it would work in um, was it a penalty or was it not a penalty? You know, did he handle the ball? Uh, even though some of those have been very controversial as well. But, you know, a challenge in the area, you know, fair enough. But the, the offside one, when it's as close as as those ones, I just don't like it. I also quite like it, you know, when you're actually watching a game in the stadium, say, I, I love questioning the line, linesman calls. Like, if, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's part of it, isn't it? You know, like just having that difference of opinion. Yeah. It's, it's part of the game. I really do believe that. And But having said that, I think 
there probably is a place for VAR in penalty incidents. Yeah. Yeah. If it was if it was penalty incidents and maybe red card, you know, was it a red card or not? Then that's it's kind of it's a bit more black and white. I think the 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 uh, offside. Although it could be described as black and white as well, I just you know there's been a few this season that have been ah oh, yeah. killed me you know well, so and it could be it could be denying like a brilliant goal you know beautiful build up passing movement slick through ball great finish and because of twelve centimeters it's yeah. out and you know yeah no I think I think you're preaching to the choir a little bit we I mean I've said exactly the same thing as you particularly with offsides. I think the, the issue that I have is often when you see the freeze frame that, that they show you of the offside, you can see the ball itself is, is blurred in motion. So the idea that they can suggest that they've managed yeah. to get an exact freeze frame down to, like you say, 12 centimetres. I mean, obviously it's, I don't have the possible. answer. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like maybe a solution is if, if, the, if the systems comes back and says something like 12 centimetres, maybe if they pick a margin and go, you know what, if it's below this, we'll just refer back to the on-field decision yeah. because because we, we can't... Um, I agree 100%. I, I mean, it's yeah. a bit like, um, you know, the starting gun in a in a 100 metres race and, the, you know, mm. did they, did they uh, break early or whatever? Um, there is a margin of error there that they use, mm. Um, mm. which... You know, it, it, it could be applied in a kind of similar fashion to the offside, as you say, if it's within, you know, 30 centimetres or 20 centimetres, whatever, um, refer to the, the decision made on the field. I think something like that, maybe. Um, but I think I think we're stuck with it for a while now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we can we can park the VAO conversation for another time. I don't think anyone enjoys talking about <laughs> at this point. Kills I'm, I'm, I'm interested to ask you, Con, because obviously... Um, free sports and live score don't show every single game. Um, so often me and Barney are watching uh, the Portuguese coverage of the Liga Nosh. It goes without saying that there's a very different commentary style that you get in Portugal. Um, it did make me wonder whether a commentary style is something you think about consciously, um, because obviously there are some commentators who go for the very theatrical, you know, there's the kind of stereotypical European commentator, all those uh, type of things. I want, yeah. I wondered if if a commentary style was something you think about, or even if you know there were commentators that you enjoyed watching before you worked in the game that might have influenced you, or, yeah. or that you that you think about in that sense. That's a great question. Um, and you know something, even I was talking to you about being in those booths where you're next to the French guy doing La Liga and the mm-hmm. Russian fellow doing the ice hockey and whatever. And if you were to stand outside those booths, I mean, the walls are quite thin, but when we're using the microphone, it doesn't pick up from the other booths. But if you're just standing around, you can actually hear the different styles. You know, the, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. The, the French style is not dissimilar to the Latin ones, uh, which is very animated. And obviously, you know, when a goal goes in, uh, I actually sat beside a Portuguese commentator at an international once in Lansdowne Road and Portugal scored. And he did that one where he holds the note. Yeah. yeah. And he must have held the note for, I, I, I don't know, but it, it just seemed like an eternity, maybe 20 yeah. seconds, maybe yeah, yeah. 15, 20 seconds of just go. <laughs> but he, he, he kept it going. And I, I thought it was, I actually thought it sounded great, you know, and, and, uh, uh but I don't I don't have a conscious I never when I started, I never said, OK, I'm going to try and be like John Motson or I'm going to try and be like um, mm. 
Barry Davis or, yeah. or you know, uh, I just thought I'd try and be myself. Um, and in Ireland, we have a commentator here called George Hamilton, who would have been the, he's kind of like the doyen. He's done all the Ireland games or the majority of them for mm-hmm. the last 20, 30 years. He actually had a spell uh, when he was younger working with the BBC five well whatever the bbc was before it was five live sure. their, their sports channel on radio brilliant commentator great guy um so i do have like i always found barry davies super commentator um i used to listen to um jonathan pierce when he was on capital radio in in london and uh I always kind of enjoy, he. I thought he was as close to a Latin commentator, yeah, uh, as you get in England, you know. And and I like his his um, passion. And he's again, Jonathan would be one of those commentators who's quite opinionated. Uh, hmm. He's not afraid to say what a terrible ball. Yeah. You know, you don't get every commentator saying that. Hmm. Um, but I, by and large, I think most people would would uh, would like that. Um, so in answer to your question, there's no one commentator or one style that I've particularly hmm. thought I'm going to go down that road. I've just done it my way and, and hoped that, it, you know, I get a job the next week, you know, and so far so good. Anyway. <laughs> but there's a, there's a commentator that I absolutely love. I don't watch the games, but he's, he's very popular in YouTube videos of him. Ray Hudson, I don't know if you know him, an English guy, but commentates in, in America. America. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just like how he uses like ridiculous metaphors and stuff. And he loves like Messi and Raquel me. And, but, but, I, but what I was going to ask from that was if, if there's a player for you that makes you a bit wax, wax lyrical, or, you know, make, makes you just like, do you love to commentate on or, you know, just yeah. describe the stuff? That's another really good question. I think this season, um, there's something about Pedro Porro. Every mm. time he got the ball for yeah. scoring, I just thought, well, A, he scored a couple of absolute belters this season. Yep. But just, he's, I've really enjoyed him uh, this season. Thought he was brilliant. Um, Barney, your old friend, Ryan Gold, every time I see him, we didn't do too many Ferenc games, but every time I saw him, he just looked, fantastic you know mm. i still i'm how he's not in the scottish squad for the euros i, I just don't don't get me started travesty and um, mm. but i've loved doing like pepe as well for porto oh. i just love that kind of i, I hated him actually well, no i shouldn't say i hate him. I, I, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean yeah when, when he was playing at real madrid i thought you know feigning injury and yeah you know but actually He's a very inspirational player for for Porto and very similar, actually. Uh, Sebastian Coates this season, uh, again, good defender. You know, he's not going to score a spectacular goal from 25 yards, but he's popped up with some really important goals for them this season. And just his organisation and his strength in defence has been brilliant. So so it's not just the the Messi-esque type players that I'm drawn to. I, I love a good defender who'll you know keep a clean sheet and um clean sheets win leagues as they say i think that does bring us quite nicely on to to this season then we did obviously want to get your perspective on the season because you've watched so much of the football there's nowhere else to start other than with sporting it was, it was an incredible season that they had you mentioned a few of their standout players there i just you know wondered what your immediate kind of reaction was to their season what you put it down to there's so many factors that contributed to 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 their success but it was it was fantastic to watch i'm sure you'd agree absolutely yeah and i think you know when we're talking about factors 
top of the pile has to be Ruben Amarim, the uh, influence he brought to bear, the fact that he was confident enough to throw, you know, 17-year-old, 18-year-olds into the starting lineup and play them regularly and mix them with the the likes of the the Coates and Fidal and uh, Jao Palinha was uh, he, you know, I I wasn't sure when he joined Sporting that he'd have the impact that he did, but he's been amazing, you know. Um, and yeah. his call up to the um, to the international squad bears that out. Um, and obviously, uh, I, 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 here's one now. I'm never quite sure whether to call him Pedro Gonçalves or Same. Put or Pote, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, it, you know. <laughs> What can you say? 23 goals. Unbelievable. Um, but I think Amarim has been phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people wondered when they spent 10 million to, to bring him in. You know, is that money well spent? But my God, it's he's earned it for them and, and, uh, and much more as well with that Champions League qualification, league title. Uh, amazing. I was a little bit disappointed actually. And I mean, I'm, I'm neutral. I, I don't really, um, I can't be kind of um, flying the flag really for, for any team in, in Portugal when they're doing the commentaries, but I would like them to have gone through the season unbeaten. You know, Same. I felt I was doing that match against Benfica and uh, I was kind of a bit uh, gutted, you know? <laughs> well, it was a fantastic game for the neutral. I mean, you know, the phrase, the players were on the beach is thrown around. Perhaps in this case, the players were still in the bar might be a, yeah, yeah, might be yeah. a, a better <laughs> a phrase to use. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Obviously, the, the season itself is is what matters. It, I think uh, a touch of disappointment that they're not able to kind of say to Porto fans, because Porto fans are often quite proud of their unbeaten season. Again, yeah. I'm, I'm, I have no preference either. The one thing I will say is... Uh, Porto went through their unbeaten season when there were two less teams in the league. I heard you saying that last time. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, just, yeah. I'll just leave that out there. Like I said, I have absolutely no preference for the teams. I don't need any angry messages uh, on Twitter. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, but, Do you, yeah. uh, genuinely, have you no, you've no leaning towards anybody, have you? I think me and Barney are, are the same on this. I'm, I'm, and we're totally honest because, you know, our, our podcast, we're not trying to be a kind of authority on Portuguese football. We're very open about the fact that we're fans as well. I think... The, the honest answer is that we were probably both caught up in the story of sporting this season. But as soon as yeah. the final whistle went on the end of the season, that allegiance ends and a fresh one starts next season. What we enjoy is just the emotion, the drama, the story. So, yeah, there were certain storylines that we liked. I think a few of our listeners were a bit sick of us talking about Ferenz all the time. When perhaps, they didn't, <laughs> when perhaps they didn't warrant the discussion, but that was another story that kind of caught us but no it, genuinely we don't have any kind of allegiance that you might say support a team uh, I, I did find it hard to um not be so i found it very hard not to be over critical of benfica this season that that was a, a um, maybe because of what yeah. Jesus' antics off the pitch I, I made it quite hard for me and obviously the money they spent but um yeah yeah I, I, yeah I, I i was disappointed by them this season um hmm. uh, i think Losing Andre Almeida, I, I can't remember what match yeah. it was, but it was like season match two or three into the season or something, and, and he's gone for the entire campaign. He was a big loss for them because I don't think Gilberto, when he came in, was the same going forward or defensively, actually. And, yeah. you know, Diogo Gonzalez came in and did very well, but still, I think losing Almeida, who's a, a, almost like a captain like figure on the pitch as well, um, big loss for them. 
And I kept, you know, I kept thinking, I know you, you, you talk about Ryan Gold, but I kept thinking to myself, if Ryan Gold was playing in that Benfica midfield, yeah. my God, you know. Well, those he, are the rumours, Con. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's he's a perfect fit for them at the moment. Do you think? You know? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Like, put mm-hmm. him in there instead of Adele Tarap, for example. And he's a... Oh, Seferovic would love it. The amount of through balls oh, and Darwin Nunes as well. Um, uh, yeah, if 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 that's going to happen, I think it will be a match made in heaven. I'm. Are you slightly dubious about it? It's funny because actually, we. I think I'm not sure if we had the discussion on air, Barney, or whether it was just between us. But I think we both thought that he deserved a top three move. But of the top three, Benfica would have actually been the third. Mm. choice that, that I would have put I'm not sure why that is maybe, maybe the sporting story is a nice story but also tactically as well I, I can kind of see him fitting into sporting maybe as a Pedro Gonzalez replacement something like that even with Porto mm. I think perhaps they play a 4-4-2 which might not suit him but but since I've heard those rumours actually I've, I've come around to to the idea of it a lot I, more I could, I could yeah. see it working you know with Weigel sitting as the yeah. kind of holding midfielder allowing him and I know you made the point uh, was it last week that maybe he was a bit too cavalier and it ended up costing Florence goals maybe this season you know, goals conceded um, yeah. but I think if he's playing in a good team who are going to be you know owning the ball for the majority of the game if you have a, a good holding midfielder behind him I think that gives him license to yeah. go for it and um, I mean suddenly you know if he's playing for Benfica he can't be left out of the Scotland squad, for example. You exactly. Know? Um, so from that point of view, if he's got international ambitions, it would be a dream move for him. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But uh, he was tremendous this season. Oh, my God, he was really good. I'm so excited for next season already. Just the idea that yeah. he'll be playing for a better club. After all this yeah. time this season, looking at him thinking, oh, what if, what if, what if. Yeah. To, to be able to see that in action, I really hope he stays in Portugal, I think. You know, it would just be a joy to watch uh, this yeah. season. Uh, just to stay on Benfica briefly before we move on to some of the other teams. Uh, what do you make of George Jesus? Because he's obviously an interesting character. Um, he's, you know, he said some things that me and Barney have been quite open about that we that we didn't like the season. So perhaps he's quite a controversial mm. figure. Do you think it's an obvious question? Do you think he's the right the right man for Benfica? I I, I get the impression that perhaps he's the kind of play, person that you might want on your side, and from the outside he might look like a divisive figure but 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 when he's rooting for you then then maybe he's mm. a good person to have yeah I, I mean what has he got another year on his contract um yeah. i'm sure benfica are looking at sporting and saying well they brought in a guy in his mid-30s and he's completely turned the team around and they're you know heading into the group stage of the champions league as champions um is george jesus sort of yesterday's man at 66 years of age or whatever and, and not to be ageist but um you know football does move on ask jose Mourinho. Yeah, exactly. um so uh they might be looking at you know i i know pepe for example has been uh, linked with the, the move to Vitoria, but he did a great job with uh, um with Pasos this this season um mm. Even somebody like Daniel Ramos, who did a great job at uh, Santa Clara, and I really like the cut of his jib. Uh, he's very yeah. he, Daniel Ramos. Just seems like a sound sort of guy on the side of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably others that that they they could look at uh, bringing in, but you know, do they give George Jesus you know the final year of his contract and and maybe over the course of the next year line up somebody else? Carvajal. Yeah, that, that's that's 
he's I mean he's good, but I I think I, I imagine Carver wants to see out the project with Braga. I think he's got he's got more things to come with that. But I think mm. with Jorge Jesus, I mean this summer is going to be a completely different summer for Benfica than it was last. I imagine they're going to move on players and um, try and improve from within. But then I think with Jorge Jesus, we've seen that he's not really putting much trust in the youngsters that are coming back to this couple of coming are coming through. And yeah. so yeah, I, I I personally don't think he's he's the right man for the job and. Uh, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he if he's there in the hot seat next season. Yeah. Well, it was interesting that um, towards the end of the season, you know, some Benfica fans were pretty uh, public in their dissatisfaction with the president and and the, the club in general. And um, so I think they recognise that maybe you know you look at guys like Pizzi, who's been a great servant. I know he scored a brilliant goal there in the in the game against um, Sporting. I think he's maybe on the. I don't want to say decline, but I mean, what is he? Thirty-one yeah, now. PC, and he was he was very influential for a couple of seasons there when mm. Jonas was banging in goals for uh, Benfica. But you know, so if you look at the age profile of their squad, I think you're right, Barney. They don't give the young fellows the the freedom to play the way Sporting did this season, for example. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I th- I th- I think you're going to see a lot of new faces there. But I mean, they splashed the cash. I mean, they spent mm-hmm. a lot of money last season. Um, Darwin Nunes, what, 25, 26 million. You know, that's a lot of money in Portuguese football. Um, so it'll be. I I think it's going to be a really interesting year next year. Yeah, I'm as excited as you are actually about next season because I I think Porto are going to be very good as well. Um, will. Conceição will be gone to Italy at that point, you know, and again, is there another big managerial vacancy there? So we'll see. You mentioned Conceição. I've I've loved watching him this season. And it's, um, just because, well, the Champions League for one, I think their performance in that was incredible. Yeah. I, 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 I guess you watched the games particularly, like, but me and Albert were disappointed from, with BT in, for those particular games because it did felt like the pundits, pundits and the commentators had they didn't have bring much knowledge of Porto mm. to the game. It was like, you know, and, and for us having watched them all season, it just felt like they were, I don't know, it, it just needs to pull their, I think they pulled their fingers out for the Chase Chelsea game, didn't they? But, you know, they had no clue. It, I, I saw some people giving out on Twitter about that, actually. Obviously, I would have watched the match on, on Irish television. Mm. Um, I mean, that performance against Juventus was an eye-opener. And from my point of view, having done the games now for a few seasons, it was almost like an Irish team playing in Europe like now when the Portuguese teams are playing in Europe whether it's you know Rio Ave against uh, AC Milan or Porto or Sporting or Benfica I want them all to win I want them all to do well you know I kind of embrace them Um, so I was delighted with with uh, Porto's run and it kind of again it 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 almost validated the Portuguese league and said you know this is a good league these are good teams and there's a lot of good players here and and so for some people, I think it was a bit of an eye opener The the way that works um, with pundits on, especially on European games, you'd be amazed how little they've seen <laughs> of some of the teams that they're commenting on. And they tend to, uh, I mean, in fairness to them, they can't watch every league, no, no, every no. match from every, and, and they will be shown clips of games, you, you know, but you and I who are watching Porto playing week in, week out, or sporting or Benfica will definitely know more about the players and the backstories than 
you know, some of the pundits who are on BT, Sky, RTE, BBC, whoever, wherever they might be. Um, and the same will apply to the Euros this summer now when Portugal are playing. Well, maybe that's a bad choice because so many of the players are now playing in England and stuff. Mm. But um, in general, uh, those pundits are relying on a few articles that have been pulled out by staff and a few clips. And that's what they're working off. Um, uh, yeah. And so so quite often they will say stuff that's a bit off the beam. Yeah, no, I, t- I agree with your 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 point there, and I think I think I said it at the time. I mean, I did give Joe Cole a bit of a hammering. <laughs> to be fair, I thought he was particularly bad. Um, but no, I agree. It's not necessarily about expecting English pundits to know anything about Portuguese football, which I don't expect. Of course, you don't expect them to. And there's no reason why they should. But it's about getting people on who do. You know, I mean, even just to put a name out there, I know they've worked with with Andy Brassel on BT. He's a great example who, who's done work for them on the TV. He knows about Portuguese football. They could have got him on. So the decision-making was was uh, left a little bit to be desired. But just going back to Contessao, because we said Portu- uh, Porto were so successful in the Champions League and his team were a joy to watch, especially against mm-hmm. Juventus. And it was a great analogy that you said, it, like watching an Irish team in the Champions League, because the way they set up was as the underdogs, you know, it was that siege mentality. Yeah. And I think that's almost why... That's what Contessao perhaps is good at and perhaps why they've struggled at times in the league because they have struggled domestically. We've seen them draw games that they really shouldn't be drawing. And sometimes I wonder when I watch Porto domestically when they're against a smaller team, whether they just struggle for creative ideas or struggle to be on be on the front foot. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I've noticed after every Porto game, um, and sometimes it's after we've gone off air, but you, you probably have seen it on some of the Portuguese coverage anyway. After every Porto game, they, they do this big huddle in the centre of the pitch and Conceição comes out with all the backroom staff, all the subs, and they seem to have this little kind of conflab after the game, win, lose or draw. And it's quite, I, I can kind of see why the players really want to play for Conceição because he's, it's, it's, it's almost like a bonding exercise after the game and they mm. do this little chant of, you know, Porto. Um, and so I, I, I'd imagine that he's, you know, that, that the players love him and love playing for him and, and will miss him if he, if he does go. I mean, he's very passionate, a bit like Amarim. I don't know, I, I lost count of how many times he was sent off this season, uh, Conceição. It was the armband for me, Connie. Just that rule about it, having to wear the armband, and he just—he oh, never did it. With the armband. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's such a funny rule in the first place. It, yeah, it is. Bizarre, yeah, bizarre. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he's a bit of a maverick, and and I, I I must say I agree with you. I like him, and I think he'd be a huge loss to the league if he does go. But um, I think they have the basis there of a really good team at Porto, and I think you know one or two tweaks. Um, could see them and I mean the fact that they're into the group phase of the Champions yeah. League means that they will have a bit of money to to spend if they have to mm. um, and I still think they if they could get Alex Tellez back from Manchester United that would be a good bit of business you know yeah, for sure. uh, yeah I, 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 funnily enough when, when they went off when himself and Bruno Fernandes went to Man United I thought they'd both be a huge success there I mean Same. I remember saying to people on Twitter Listen, you've got two gems there now between Bruno Fernandes and Tellez bombing down that left wing. You have absolutely brilliant. So I'm a bit surprised actually that it hasn't really happened for Alex Tellez at uh, Manchester United. I've no idea of what his contractual situation is there and whether he might even entertain coming back to play in Portugal again. But if he did, 
uh, God, they could do with him. You know, he's he's he'll be a great signing for them. Um, Pepe isn't going to be able to go on forever. You know, I mean, he's he's been. I mean, those mm. European games against Juve, he was absolutely phenomenal. And with his experience, you know, against the 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 weaker teams, he can he can just stroll through these matches. You know, um, so he's been really good. Uh, but again, what is he? Thirty eight or nine? I nine. think. Yeah. So, you know, uh, grand if you're a goalkeeper, but at centre half. Um, so they might need to be thinking about, you know, centre half as well. And Sergio Oliveira has been linked with a move to Italy too. So he'd be hard to replace because obviously his goals, but just his general creative play as well would be a big loss. Maybe a Ryan Gold could be the, the replacement for him there. <laughs> You know, we yeah. keep talking about Ryan Gold. I, know, right? <laughs> I love it. I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, look, you're right. I think they're going to have a really interesting summer. We're not. Me and Barney have decided we're not going to do our predictions yet. We're going to wait until the transfer windows happen. But I, yeah. I've just got a sneaky suspicion that with the money that they've got to spend and you know the core group of players that are, who are perhaps a little bit underrated, like sort of uh, Uribe, uh, Taremi. You know, he's not underrated, but you know, he's a he's a player that they signed domestically for not very much money. I think yeah. there's there's real potential for them. Look, I know you've spent most of your time watching the big three teams. Um, we quite like to give as much time as we can to the teams outside of the top three. Though I'm 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 not going to ask you for a huge analysis of the of the other uh, 15 teams in the league, but I'm just wondering if there's any kind of teams particularly that stuck out to you this season, or players, or, or anything like that from from outside the big three. Yeah, um, there'd be a few. I mean, obviously, just from a team point of view, Passos de Ferreira, if you'd said to me at the start of the season that they're going to get into Europe and finish fifth in the league, I, I'm not sure if I would have um, yeah. believed yeah. you. Um, but I thought um, Stephen Eustachio, every time I did a game that they were involved in, he always was really tidy in that centre of uh, midfield. Very, very good. Um, some of the other players that stood out, and I mean, they have been making the headlines, Beto for Portimonense, the goals he's been scoring is going to make, he could be next season's Taremi, I think for one of the, the bigger clubs, you know, he, yeah. he scores a lot of goals. The one guy, and this, I tell you something, I, I did a Tondela match and they had this guy playing up front who I'd never heard of called Mario Gonzalez. Yeah. And about 20 minutes into the match in my own head, I said, this guy is really good. He yeah. just, his touch was good. He had, he was quick. His finishing has been great. He has been, uh, I think he's the difference between Tondela getting relegated or standing Absolutely. up and being quite comfortable mid-table, actually. He was brilliant. Um, I, and again, I don't know what the situation is with him, whether he goes back to Villarreal now or yeah. I presume, I mean, they've they've suddenly got a hot property there now. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought he could be a perfect signing for Braga, um, yes. Mario Gonzalez. I think they need someone like him up front. Um, I think and that's yeah. a perfect move. Go on, the only question will be whether they can afford him. Like you say, he's done wonders for his own price tag. He came on loan, pretty unknown, and, and now yeah. the situation's completely changed. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Was it 15, 16 goals he scored? Yeah, 15 or 16. So, you know, they finished 12th in the table, Tondela. So 16 goals for a team that finished 12th. If he was playing Brilliant. for a Braga, you could probably add on another six or seven goals. Mm. That's suddenly he's in top goal scorer territory, you know. Um, I think he's he was really good. Um, in terms of defenders, uh, the one guy, and I he, he set up a goal there right at the end of the season. I thought, yeah, that's Abdu Conte yeah. of Morarens. Again, I was thinking of left backs and I'm thinking like, if Porto decide to 
you know, if they don't get Alex Tellers back, I'm not sure if Zaidu is quite yeah. quite there in terms of quality. Um, so uh, Abdul Conte is a big guy and he loves to get forward and, you know, he's a good crosser of the ball. I think, you know, in a good team, I think he'd be very good. And I think, I don't know how old he is. He's probably... I think he just caught, got caught up to the under-21 squad for Portugal, yeah. so... Really? Oh, so yeah. he's, I mean, he's a great age profile, yeah, yeah. you know, in terms of, yeah. Um, so, I mean, somebody like him um, and the, the couple of other goal scorers then that sort of caught the eye towards the end of the season, Cassiera um, mm. started to look good just at the end of the season for Belenense and um, for Santa Clara. I thought uh, Carlos Jr. Uh, looked you know, decent. He, again, he scored. I I, I forget what his um, total goals. was. Fifteen as well, was it? Yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, and again, in a good team, I think you could add a few more onto that. So he's he's a fellow who knows how to score goals. So there are guys out there um, that, and maybe Albert Ellis as well. Um, you know, towards the end of the season, he started to score a few goals as well. But. Um, there's probably a few jewels down there that, that I'm missing as well, you know, in the in the lower half of the uh, table. Con, I was pretty gutted you went on the um, on a relegation game on the last day of the season because that for for us that was uh, that's been such good drama all season yeah. at that end of the table. And I don't know, if, were you surprised at how many teams were caught up in it, like Rear Avs, Bovista, even Family Cal for a bit? I, I, because you know it was it was mad at one point. Yeah, I well, funnily enough, throughout the campaign, as the the weeks went by, I said, "Geez, every week there's like there's still eight teams here, you know, within four points of the bottom of the table or whatever." I, I thought, you know, with two to go down and and the third in the playoff, nobody was that comfortable in the bottom half of the table at all. And um, I agree. I'd love to have been doing one of those. I mean, the Bo Vista game, for example, on yeah. the last day mm-hmm. of the season would have been fantastic. Uh, and actually the reaction after that was, it just showed you how much it meant, you know. Um, I think the problem is, though, that the, uh, well, I don't know this for a fact, but I think the contract is that we do Sporting Porto and Benfica every week for for live score and then free sports. So they, they really, the, the teams that they're kind of interested in are the, the big three um so we weren't doing the relegation games unfortunately but yeah yeah i always think that's like in any league quite often that's the most dramatic you know way more dramatic than a team pushing for you know sixth place to get into the europa conference league next season or whatever um although again if we're talking about players reacting after a match uh, the reaction of the santa clara players when they got through and the fireworks going off and the few fans outside the ground and all that kind of stuff was great so I'm delighted uh, for Santa Clara to, to get into Europe and you can see how much it meant to them but I think the, the like the, the games that Rio Ave play now against Aruca in that uh, home and away uh, playoff are going to be and the first game is later on tonight actually yep. um, for Rio Ave you know Janie Mackers that's so so important you know when you consider that they started the season a kick of a ball away from knocking AC Milan out of Europe. It's been some slide really for them. You know, it's they've been the the horror story in a way of the season. I think me and Barney have spent <laughs> about 10 hours talking about Rio Ave this year, about mm. how how poor they've been. That yeah, no, that was that was a, a real disappointment. The one last thing I want to ask you about the league this season. Obviously, me and Barney spend a lot of time talking about the British players as British fans. We we always yeah. there's a little bit of pride when you see um a British player playing abroad and obviously for Portugal 
that's fantastic. There's there's a few British players, Ryan Gould we've spoken about, but also players like uh, Marcus Edwards. I wonder if you've had much time to look at him and, and, and what you make of him. Done a few of their games. Um, I mean, th- they were interesting because not only did they have uh, Marcus Edwards, but they had Suleiman as well and yeah. uh, Maddox. Now, actually, I didn't do a game where Maddox actually played. I don't think he played that many games um, in yeah. the end. And so I, I'd have to reserve judgment on him. And I'd kind of reserve judgment on Marcus Edwards a bit as well because I had really high hopes for him uh, coming into this season. Like all the clips that I had seen of him, he just looked magical, you know. Um, and I, I think I'd give him a kind of a six and a half out of ten for this season. Uh, you know, he was playing in a team that, albeit they finished seventh, but were kind of playing with without much confidence. I think um, Vittoria and. So I don't think we saw the best of him. I think he's capable of better. Um, very exciting, obviously, when he gets on the ball. And mm. I'd hate to be a defender trying to get the ball off him. But I, 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 if he was reflecting on the season himself, I think he'd probably say, I'd, give, well, I'd, I'd actually love to know what he'd give himself out of 10 for the season. But I think he'd probably give himself either a six or a seven. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's very true. The only reason I ask that is because, obviously, the idea of British players playing abroad is is kind of a hot topic at the moment it's becoming more and more popular we've seen it mm. work quite well uh in germany seem to be the first country to to make it work yeah. I, I wonder if if portugal could be a country that looks to emulate that because let's not forget the british players that have gone to to germany have, have been a, a relative financial success for the german clubs as well so even mm. if you're looking at it from that perspective i wonder if there's a um a good relationship to be had there Oh, I mean, I think it's something that age. I've actually spoken to an agent in Ireland about this, saying that Portugal is made for, well, particularly uh, players from from Britain. Uh, I mean, you just have to look at the impact that Ryan Gold has made at mm. uh, Ferenc. There, you know, what what a servant he's been to that club, and even if he leaves now, um, you know, they're going to do well out of it. I thought about um, seeing Jack Byrne go to. Apple and Cyprus with mm. coffee, but do you think he could have? Because I, I, I always heard good roof things about him, and then I was quite surprised he went to the Cypriot League. I know they mm. get European football sometimes, but do you think he could have been? Could you see him popping up in Portugal somewhere? Do you think he had the quality to be? be He's good enough. He's good enough. I, when I saw him playing in the League of Ireland with Shamrock Rovers, um, he was the most dominant player. They won the league. He was brilliant. He got called into the international team and, and made a few international appearances. Um, He's the best player I've ever seen play in the League of Ireland ever. Yeah. And I've been watching matches for, you know, over 45 years now in the League of Ireland. He is the best that I've wow. ever seen. Um, he's magic and he is made for the Portuguese League. He is just that type of player. He, he's, he's somebody now, if I was, if I had Carlos Carvajal's phone number, oh, nice. I'd ring Carlos. Yeah. And I would yeah. say, Carlos, you're looking for a guy who's going to score you 10 goals a season min from midfield. He's going to make another 10. Um, he's just a class. And he's played, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, he's only playing in the League of Ireland, so he's not playing against good players. But he's played in Europe for Shamrock Rovers against the likes of AC Milan and still completely owned the ball. You'd almost say quite unusual for an Irish player to be so uh, comfortable on the ball, almost like a... a, a I don't want to compare him to 
Maradona or somebody like that. But he, I swear to God, he's, he's, he's the closest thing to an Irishman, as an Irishman that I've ever seen to one of those sort of great, great, great players. Uh, I'm not saying that he's Messi or he's Maradona, but he's just, when he has the ball at his feet, he's magic happens, you know? Um, so he would be somebody that they would get cheap. Yeah. Or relatively cheap. Uh, so it wouldn't be a huge gamble. And the potential upside would be huge. I mean, he has already played, I think, four or five times for Ireland, and it would have been more, but for a, a back injury. Um, how he's going to get on? I mean, uh, Apoel aren't going to make Europe this season. I mean, they were no. struggling in, in Cyprus. Um, so he's not going to be playing European football this season. Um, I think a move to Portugal would be great for him. The only Irish guy that we've had who's played in Portugal was Paul Gammond, who's still banging them in for Newport. Um, and he played uh, with Passos and, and has very kind of uh, warm feelings towards them, I noticed on Twitter. But, oh, and actually, sorry, I, I tell a lie. We had yeah. uh, Mickey Walsh played with Porto in the late 70s, early 80s, maybe. And he was a, a big hero, actually, in, in Porto. Um, uh, Con, you're forgetting about uh, Phil Babb. And Phil Babb, of course, with of course. Sporting. Yeah, yeah, and he played, yeah. And he played for Sporting the last time they won the league. The league, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, how can I forget Phil Bath? <laughs> but what I would say is that the um, the number of Irish players who played in Portugal would be pretty pretty uh, few and far between down through the years. Um, and Porigamond was the only one who actually went from the League of Ireland to to Portugal. That's why he was in my head. Yeah, he's a really interesting case as well because um, I, I I looked into this actually just on St mm. Patrick's Day. I wanted to have a look at which players we could talk about from the league. Oh yeah, the list was very small. Um, it was Phil Bab and then Podrick Amond, who I, I mean I'm a fan of mm. of, a, of a League Two football club, so I, I've I've seen a lot of him play. I was I was. Yeah. very surprised that's a fantastic story and he played there for a couple of years at, um, yeah um, I think he would have been better off if he had gone to a kind of a, a club like Portimonense for example mm. um, Passos uh, was a bit remote I think and for an Irish guy going there who didn't speak Portuguese when mm. he got there it was um, kind of a small town sort of atmosphere. Mm. Whereas if he had gone to the South Coast where there'd be a lot of expats there and, you know, other Irish people, other British people, um, whether it was a Portimonense or a Ferenc or somebody like Estoril, um, I think he probably would have prospered a bit more. Um, but he still speaks very fondly of his time in Portugal. We were talking, I did a, a game at Braga recently and I put a, a picture of the uh, stadium on, oh, on Twitter and uh, he spoke, he, he responded to that saying that, you know, uh, oh, wow. when he played there for Passos, he just loved the fact that, you know, you had this amazing rock face behind the goal and, and uh, spoke really fondly of his time in Portugal. And, and in fact, I think um, he played for Passos when they won, they won either away. I, I forget now off the top of my head, but they, they won away to either Porto or Benfica, I think, while he was with them. And again, that would have been a big mm. kind of thrill for him to go out, and whether it was the Estadio de Luz or wherever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, but to come back to your point, from, from the UK especially, I think there are a load of players who would benefit from going to Portugal, playing in the league there. Um, it's... It's a, it's a life experience as well. You know, it's a, it's something that, you know, when you look back on your career to be able to say you played for a couple of years in a Portugal, Spain, wherever it mm. might be. I think, you know, if you ask Gary Lineker, he, he always speaks really fondly of his time playing in Spain. 
Um, and, you know, most players will, I think. It's just a different way of life, different food, different people. Uh, you learn a new language. Um, you know, I think for some of these young guys, it's definitely a, a, a good move. Even if the, the lads at Victoria, for example, this season haven't had the best of times, still interesting for them. I think you only have to look at Issa Suleiman as a great example of that because, um, you know, you look at kind of the loan moves that he was making before and Jacob Maddox down to kind of League mm. One, League Two in the UK. And suddenly yeah. they get a move to a uh, Europa League side. Um, yeah. I think the opportunities there, there are fantastic. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, you're going to be playing against Benfica, Porto, uh, sporting top teams, you know, gaining really valuable experience. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, I don't know what the situation with Suleiman is. Does he have another year to go? I think he's got at least one. It might, it might be two. Has he? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that I think he could have a really interesting season next season. Um, like the times I've seen him this campaign, he's. He, I think there was one game I did where he gave away a penalty or something. But in general, he's looked pretty composed, and mm. you know, I think he'll develop. I mean, he's still very young, you know, very young. So, time is on his side. And one of the only, only stats I've, I've made myself was going through all the games he's played this season, all the games he has and working out how many goals Victoria conceded or not. And, you know, the, the stats were there that he they were better when he was in the back four. So yeah. I think I'd like him to move. I think I want him to move, uh, yeah, go somewhere else, get get some get some more games under his belt. Where? I think uh, uh, Gil Vicente, I think um, if anyone from Pastor Ferreira moves on, I think he might be mm. a good move for him there. Um, I'm not sure. I, I do like Santa Clara's centre-backs. I'm not sure he'd, he'd get into that team. But... Yeah. Um, uh, no, I think he's got the qualities. I, I, I just want to see more of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you look at his track record at underage and he was obviously really highly rated. And, yeah. you know, he, he was the captain, I think, of the England uh, under 19. So he's obviously got a decent personality, you know, character. Um, so I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he does move on. But even if he stays there, I think, you know, if Pepper comes in, I'd expect them to be better next season. And playing under him, that might be no bad thing at all. Well, of course, we had the news recently, Con, that there will be a new TV rights deal coming into effect 2026-2027 season, I believe. So a little way off. For anybody who is not aware, obviously, you'll know better than anyone. The way it's done at the moment is on a game-by-game basis where the rights to individual games are sold, whereas in the future, what's going to happen is the whole package will, will be sold, uh, hopefully, to a, a British provider. Uh, we have our fingers crossed. I'm just wondering what you think that might impact on the league because obviously people talk about there being an imbalance in the league at the moment it's a very top heavy league um everybody knows the famous fact that only two clubs outside the big three have ever won uh the top division since 1934 um incredible stats so i'm interested whether you think there will be a noticeable impact just based on something like that kind of tv right still which might even out the balance uh, a little bit more I'd be surprised, to be yeah. absolutely honest. I don't know if it would. Um, I think the big three, maybe if Braga suddenly go on a, you know, a, a great run on the Carvajal for the next couple of seasons, uh, the big four, maybe it's going to be very hard to break that big four. Um, mm. No, like even if there is a bit more of a financial spread of the uh, TV money, I think European money is still obviously huge. Um, and uh, you, you would think that it's always going to be Porto, Benfica, Sporting, who will get the lion's share of that. Um, so it may help a little. But I mean, also, even just in terms of gate receipts and stuff, you know, you look mm. at 50,000, 40,000 
going to the Porto Benfica sporting matches and then you go to somewhere like Porto Menense where the capacity of the stadium is 6,000 or whatever and, and they don't fill that week in, week out. So um, it's, I, I really, I, I mean, I'd love to see it in a way. I think it's healthy. You know, when Leicester won the league in England, I was absolutely chuffed to bits because uh, it yeah. just showed that it can happen. Um, so something extraordinary like that could happen. You know, you could see maybe a, a Bovista doing it again or a, a Vittoria or somebody like that. But it would, I think it would be a, that'll always be a rare, a, a rare situation. But I mean, it's not dissimilar to the situation in Spain where you mm-hmm. would expect it's always going to be Barca, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, maybe Valencia. In Italy, it's nearly always going to be, you know, Juve, Milan, Inter, mm. you know, whoever. And in England, you know, it's probably, well, certainly in the foreseeable, while the money is there, it's always going to be Man City, Man United, Liverpool. Uh, am I missing somebody there? <laughs> Chelsea, maybe. <but laughs> Chelsea, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just going to be the way of it. So I think it probably is healthier in terms of a, a slightly more even distribution of the um, TV money, but I don't think it'll have a huge bearing. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree, agree with you there. Which is a slight disappointment, but I think it's a, it's a very fair point. I think the issue is also that it may take a long time to make any significant impact that you might notice because at the end of the day, yeah. you're trying to undo what eighty years of dominance, really. So this yeah. is not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. Do you think there's even a need to break up? that monopoly in Portugal, because I'm always toying with, toying with this idea. And this is where I'm interested in your perspective, because me and Barney think regularly about the kind of commercial viability of this league to a foreign audience. Mm. You know, you see, why do countries like Spain or, or, or Germany or, or France have successful audiences uh, abroad? What is it that, that makes them an attractive product for people to watch? And so sometimes I think, well, maybe just having the best possible three teams could be good for that sense. But then also, you know, in my opinion, why is it that the Premier League is the most popular league around the world all the time? Because the standard is high throughout. So I, I wonder whether there should be concerted efforts made to improve the standard of, of the lower teams. Because in, in a way, and again, this is just my opinion, you could argue that that benefits everyone if it benefits the, the yeah. league as a whole. Yeah, the, there actually is a similar... Uh, argument going on in Ireland at the moment mm. because um, the finances in Ireland would be obviously a, a, a good bit less than than somewhere like Portugal, but we do still have a situation here where the top teams get into Europe. They go even if they get through a couple of rounds, couple of qualifying rounds in Europe. The money that they get from that is the equivalent of you know winning the league for ten mm. years in Ireland, something like that. So the disparity between the money that they have coming in versus the bottom clubs is so huge that it's really hard for the and and the argument here is that some of that european money should actually be dispersed amongst the uh, other clubs in the league mm. rather than all going into the pocket of the the team who've already won the league and now have uh, got into europe obviously the bigger clubs are resisting it uh, understandably um but if, if you were to apply that same argument to Portugal, obviously with clubs like Porto getting to the quarterfinals of uh, the Champions League, the amount of money involved there is huge. And if there was a slight dispersal of a percentage of that money to some of the other clubs, it might help. Um, but you just have to look at the facilities at some of the uh, the grounds around uh, the country to realise that they're, they're so far behind 
what we see when we look at a match in, in you know, the Estadio de Luz or the Dragao or whatever, that the, the difference between the two, it really is chalk and cheese. And it's a huge, huge, huge gap to, to try and bridge. And as you say, I'm not sure even if that's necessarily the best thing that would ever happen anyway, because I think there's a huge interest in the big three. Um, the fact that live score, for example, uh, only want to do Sporting Porto and Benfica matches is mm-hmm. because that they know uh, that, you know, the Portuguese diaspora and, and uh, people who have a general interest in the league, they're the teams by and large that they want to see. Um, so their box office, uh, Morens against Tondela is not going to draw an audience mm-hmm. for them to make it, you know, a viable prospect. And, and likewise for Portuguese TV, um, they will be, I mean, I obviously don't have the figures in front of me, but when Benfica are playing or Porto are playing, Sporting are playing, that's where the audience is going to be. That's where the, the advertisers want to advertise and that's where the money go around happens. Um, as I think it's always going to be that way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. And I think one of the biggest assets that this league has is, the history and the culture around around those big clubs. I mean, if you're speaking in the new modern football commercial terms, you could call them brands, you know, Sporting, yeah. Braga, uh, Benfica, Porto, sorry, you know, these are uh, the brands that people recognise. So uh, sure. I think it makes sense. And, and, and just to quickly respond to what you said about ticket receipts as well, you know, the gates that some of these clubs get, just anecdotally, I remember when I was on holiday in the Algarve and I was in Faro and I, I was in a taxi, I spoke to the taxi driver there and he was immensely proud of the fact that Forens regularly had a thousand people attending a football match. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, this is a team in, in the top division. I support a team in, in the fourth division in England, which regularly gets five, six, seven times that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and no. likewise in Ireland, I mean, if you, yeah. if you got a thousand at a League of Ireland match, it would almost be considered embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so I'm that that is, I mean, that kind of, you know, it really is quite telling. Okay. Well, com- we're going to wrap things up. But before we go, we do have just. Three very quick fire questions to end on. Nice and okay. easy. We want to know your favourite player, favourite manager and favourite game from the Premier League of this season. Okay. Um, I say easy. <laughs> can I have two favourite players? Would that be allowed? Or am I breaking yeah. the rules straight away? Uh, my two favourite players this season would be Sebastian Coates because every time I saw him play this season, he was absolutely immense. Um, oh God, now I want to pick t- three players. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm only going to pick two. I mean, I, obviously I've, I've loved this season. I've really enjoyed it, but Coates is, is one. And the other one I'm going to go for, it's kind of maybe a bit of a surprise choice, but it is actually Mario Gonzalez, because oh, nice. he was... For me, the standout player outside the, the the big three or the big four, and I I do think he kept his team in the top division, and I do think he's going to be a bigger star in the next couple of seasons, and somebody that, you know, if I was um, tipping off some club in England who were looking for fellows going to score goals for them, uh, yeah. I'd be giving them his name. So that's my player. What the, the question? The next second one was um, manager, uh, favorite manager. manager. I've got to go for Ruben Amorim this yep. season um, just for what he did. I think it's unbelievable what he did. The turnaround at that club under him has been phenomenal. I love the fact that he was he had the balls to give young players a, a run in the team. It paid off for him. 
I love the fact that he's passionate. Um, I think he does need to calm down a little bit. I mean, four red cards this season is probably not great <laughs> not to have on the CV. Um, <laughs> but I don't think anybody would be too complaining about that too much. Um, but I do think he does need to just chill a little bit on the sidelines. But I, I just, I like the, I just like his vibe. Um, yeah. And so he would be, yeah, I think manager of the year for me and, and the one I enjoyed. Yeah. And the third one is match of the season. That one's a oh, little bit harder. God, that is. I wish you'd warned me about that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's like the, the Benfica beating Sporting 4-3 was kind of funny, but it, I, it, it, it didn't have the drama of sure. you know some of the other games. I really enjoyed the Sporting Santa Clara game, I think you were on, um, where Santa Clara almost got a, was it a, a winner and then... Sports, uh, sporting one at the other end and got and Quattas. Yeah, it was actually Coates in that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 The last I really minute. enjoyed that was good. Cool. Yeah, and, and actually another one that really sticks out in my uh, mind was a Porto match in Santa Clara as well. It was in January, I think, and it was in storm, like gale force winds, as you sometimes get on on the islands, uh, lashing rain, windy. Yeah. Uh, almost unplayable pitch, but having flown down there, obviously they wanted to get the game played and they did play and it, it just looked like it had the makings of a nil all. And um, Luis Diaz scored a great bicycle kick just before halftime. It was the only goal of the game and they won. It, it just, that game for some reason sticks in my head because it was such a miserable night and it was a huge three points for Porto then. Um, the, the, couple of games I didn't do which I'd love to have done um, <laughs> Sporting uh, when they won 2-1 against uh, Gilles Vicente and Coates again scored two yeah. late goals in that game you know 85th and 93rd minute or whatever I mean there's been great drama all season I, I have to say I've really really enjoyed this uh, season and the fact that Sporting have been kind of the outstanding team just you know it makes a change um, and I just wish that the fans had been there to see, you know, you wait 19 years for your team to win the league and then you can't go into the ground and, and see it. You know, the celebrations actually outside the yeah. stadium over the last couple of weeks. Um, I know from a COVID point of view and everything probably wasn't the best thing for them to be doing, but it just, it just gave me a demonstration again of yeah. what it means and the passion involved. And, and, you know, I, I loved that. And, um, Actually, I, I love some of the sporting songs. Sometimes when I'm doing a sporting match, here's a little tidbit for you. Um, on Spotify, I'll just put on the sporting songs on the <laughs> way in to do the match and just whack it up full volume just to get into the, the vibe and get into the mood for the match. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, those those fan celebrations are fantastic outside. The, while the game is going on inside, you know, which is such a bizarre sort of scenario. But uh, hopefully by the time next season starts... Um, We'll certainly have, what do you think, maybe half full stadiums, and maybe full, I don't know. I don't know. I'm being positive. Anything would be an improvement on, on, on what we've had. Oh, yeah, yeah it'll, it'll, it'll just add to the, the, the whole thing so much. But, um, but still, 2021, 2020, 2021 wasn't bad. Absolutely. Well, look, Con, thank you so much. I think that is about all we've got time for. We obviously want to say uh, a massive thank you for, for your time to come coming on and joining us also not just to thank you from us but i know i speak for a lot of our listeners who have enjoyed uh, your commentary and also from your colleague mark Rodden as well this year it's it's not just great to to be able to watch the games but to be able to watch them with a real professional standard of of commentary as well is uh, is, is fantastic for us so yeah uh, a massive thank you for thank joining you us today much. and for the whole season
Well, thanks a million. I, I really appreciate those comments. And, and so will Mark as well, because I know he, he works really hard on, on the commentaries as well. And he's um, he's a great student of the game in Port. In fact, Mark is a great student of European football mm. in, in general. So I uh, really appreciate the comments and, and best of luck uh, with the podcast for next season. I'll be tuned in every week. So Brilliant. looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Mate.